0: So, please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 22 through 4-1, as Susan read for us. And work is a fundamental part of our human existence. Whether you work inside or outside the home, consider how much of your time, how much of your life is given to work. Some of you, tomorrow you're going to start a new work week and you're going to give 20 or 40 or 60 or 70 plus hours of your time during your week to work. Some of you are in school to be trained and equipped for a job that will take most of the time of your daily week. Imagine how much of our conversations revolve around work. So whether it's friends or family or in gospel community, you're talking about work all the time. Have you ever tried not to talk about work? Like this week, purpose not to talk about work and see how hard it is. It's very difficult. Work is a major part our life and whether you love your job or you hate it or you're somewhere in between here's a reality we also have to come to grips with work is hard work is difficult it is shot through with pain and frustration even the best jobs so I remember my first job it was as a busboy at Bishop's Buffet in Sioux City Iowa 16 years old my mom wanted me to help pay for car insurance and so I got this job and the first night on the job They were a little bit understaffed, and so rather than being shown how to do things, I was more just sort of told how to do things, and because I'm a guy, I didn't ask for help. And so for the next four hours, I was running around trying to clean off tables for the next uh, people to come in and sit down. I was filling coffee cups because people get cranky when they don't get their hit of coffee, and so just trying to figure out what it meant to be a busboy. On top of that, a group of my high school friends came in and decided to see me and cheer me on in my first day of work, and if you can imagine having your friends watch you clean tables and stack dishes and refill coffee, a little bit embarrassing. Well, on top of that, they decided that they wanted to get into a food fight with each other and get kicked out, and so my coworkers were kind of eyeballing me, like, can we trust this dude who has friends that come in and start food fights in restaurants? And so it was a really painful four hours. That Saturday, I had an eight-hour shift that I was supposed to work, and I didn't show up. Just decided I wasn't going to show up. Just like classic, irresponsible 16-year-old boy. My boss was kind enough to say, hey, I'll give you another chance, but I quit. And so my mom had a conversation about me with me about that. Um, but eventually, I got a job at Chick-fil-A and worked there throughout high school. And that was a great experience. I mean, the free food after soccer and basketball practice alone was worth it. Uh, but it was, it was a good experience. And, and since high school... I have worked in construction, facility maintenance on a college campus, in a college library, at a print shop, as a tutor, as a camp counselor, in a music store, in a gas station, in a boys' and girls' home, as a high school English teacher, in education policy, as an adjunct professor, and in full-time ministry. Some of those jobs have been great, some of them not so great. Regardless of how you think about your job, what we have to come to grips with is one of the most significant ways that we experience sin and brokenness in our daily lives is through our work. I mean, you think of how much time and energy we give towards work, how much time and energy we give toward education that allows us to do our job, and then work can be this painful experience. It can feel like it's actually, su- excuse me, sucking the life and soul out of us. There's a reason why movies like office space and TV shows like "The Office" exist, right? Because work is hard. And so when we consider the places we need the gospel to reform us and transform us, our, in our relationships, work is right up there. Work is one of the top ways that we need the gospel to enter into our lives, enter into our relationships, and transform us. And if the gospel can transform the relational and work dynamics of, in, in the institution of slavery it can certainly transform your work situation and the relationships you have in your job. And so here's the main idea for us this morning. The gospel reforms the meaning and motivation of work. And I want to unpack this main idea with three, uh, three main points. First is work given, second is work broken, and then work reformed to follow our theme of this series. But before we go there, we need to address the elephant in the text, slavery. Slavery is just sort of standing out there. And if I were to sort of gloss over it, I wouldn't be doing justice to this text. So let's address this for a moment because this isn't a message on slavery specifically, but we need to talk about what's happening. Because if you think about our own cultural context in sort of the past four or five years, you read a text like this and you think, man, that's probably not what I would have said to slaves. I might not have said that to masters. And so we can start to judge sort of what God's word has to say through our own lens. And so some things we need to recognize about why the Apostle Paul says what he says. First, we need to recognize that slavery in first century Rome was not the same thing as 18th and 19th century slavery in this country and in Western civilization. First of all, first century Roman slavery was not based in racial superiority. It was not drawn along the lines of race. The kind of race-based man-stealing chattel slavery that, ex- that happened in our country is completely condemned in 1 Timothy 1. And so if you want to look at 1 Timothy 1:10, the Apostle Paul straight up condemns that kind of slavery. And so this is not to minimize that there is an aspect of uh, Roman slavery that was incredibly degrading and brutal. But there were also forms of slavery that were much different. And so slaves in Roman society were often given many more privileges. They often had more authority in the home than a child did. Many slaves were things like doctors and teachers and accountants and other tradesmen. They were given a lot of trust within a family. There were also varying laws on how slaves could be treated. If you were a Roman citizen and a slave, your master couldn't inflict certain types of punishment on you. Also, there's this category of bond servant. And so some translations of the Bible translate the word slave as bond servant. A bond servant was somebody who, because they had a debt, willingly sold themselves into slavery to pay off the debt. And once the debt was paid off, they were free. And so as you can imagine, Paul is speaking into a whole multifaceted sort of institution with slaves in various states and conditions. And so slavery in first century Rome was different than what existed in our country. Now, this is not to excuse it. This is not to excuse slavery in first century Rome because it could be very brutal. But some forms were more like having a live-in servant than somebody that you could mistreat and treat like a piece of property. This does not mean, though that God's word doesn't speak to the institution of slavery. It also doesn't mean that the words of the Apostle Paul here don't undermine the institution of slavery in some ways because the gospel properly believed and lived out will always challenge the institution of slavery because it will always challenge sin and selfishness and pride. So with that sort of caveat to address the issue, let's dive into these points. And I want to lay some theological framework for us, some groundwork to help us understand work and our relationship to it. And so the first thing that we need to recognize is that work is a gift. Work is something that has been given to us by God. God gives it its proper motivation and meaning. And so in Genesis 128, we read that when God creates the world, creates Adam and Eve, he gives Adam and Eve a garden and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply and to cultivate the garden. He says, here's this piece of creation. Take it care for it, cultivate it, develop it, work it, be productive in it. And this is a good thing. This is the meaning of our work. And for us today, our work is the same thing. We're carrying forward that work of Adam and Eve. God has entrusted you with a piece of creation. He's entrusted you with something to take and to cultivate it and to work it and to develop it and to work hard to see that it is productive. Work is a good thing. And if you think about the ways that when you experience productivity in your work, when you're successful in work, isn't that a good feeling? Isn't that a gift, a wonderful thing? It is good for us to be productive and to work. Also, when God gave work, he put it in its right priority. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. That was their identity. And so they imaged God by working because our God is a God who creates and he cultivates and he develops and he takes care of things and he's productive and so we reflect the image of God as we do the same thing. Also, Adam and Eve worked from an identity not for an identity. God gave them their identity and they worked from that and you and I are to work from our identity not for an identity and so no matter your vocation no matter what piece of creation God has given to you. You work and that work is good. And here's what else? That work is intended to glorify God and declare his kingdom. Adam and Eve as they worked that garden and cultivated it and developed it and it grew, it was to spread the glory of God throughout the world. And that's what we're intended to do, spread the glory and goodness of God through our work and declare his kingdom our work no matter our vocation this is what it doesn't matter if you're in full-time ministry or if you're a waiter or a waitress or whatever your job is you declare the glory of god and the kingdom of god through your work and this is a wonderful gift and so what happened if work is this wonderful gift what happened well sin happened the reason there's pain and frustration and brokenness in our work is because of sin as god tells adam in genesis 3 Because you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Sin has broken our work. One of the curses of our rebellion is that work is going to become frustrating and futile. Cursed is the ground. Cursed Is the material and the experience of your work. It's going to be painful and hard. Through pain and sweat, you're going to eat. Meaning, do you want to be successful in your work? Do you want to produce in your work? Well, expect challenge and hardship. It is going to be a struggle. It is going to be painful. It is not going to be easy. It's also at times going to be futile. Where a beautiful crop should have been, God tells Adam, there's going to be thorns and thistles. You're going to fail. There is going to be failure in your work. It's not always going to produce what you want. And so there's a frustration, but there's also a futility. And for us today, it's the same thing. Like those of you that worked hard to close a deal and it doesn't close, or you try to meet certain sales numbers and you don't meet those sales numbers, or you're trying to teach a group of students how to grasp a particular concept and they fail the test. Or maybe you're in the military and you have a particular mission and that mission goes out and it doesn't succeed in the way that you had planned. Or you're in the medical field and the treatment plan that you gave to this particular patient didn't work out as you had hoped. There's failure and futility in our work. And look, if you try to avoid this, if you try to escape it, you're going to have to quit work altogether. It's inescapable. But even deeper than this, because of our sin, work becomes an idol, becomes an idol. And instead of God being our source of fulfillment and meaning, we, we now seek ultimate fulfillment and meaning in things like our work. And, and when we do this, this is what happens. We don't work from an identity. We work for an identity. We don't work to spread the glory of God and declare his kingdom. We work for our own glory and our own kingdom. And here, here's how else sin breaks our work. The relationship in work that was meant to be this mutual building up and this partnership and joy in partnership is now broken. Adam and Eve, as husband and wife, were to work together in communion and work together joyfully, but because of sin, now there was conflict. And so now we see this in our jobs. There should be what should be a mutual beneficial relationship between boss and manager and employee. Now bosses exploit their employees, and employees try to undermine their bosses. And so, if we consider the brokenness of our work, we can see this behind the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3. He says, Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Look for slaves. Their identity was largely as a piece of property, part of this sort of economic system. They were a cog in the economic wheel. They, they were to live to serve. Their value and worth was wrapped up in whether or not they were good as a servant or as a slave. And so if you can imagine this, if your identity is based upon something that is shot through with frustration and futility, something that is bound to fail, can you imagine the anger and the sadness and the self, potentially the self-pity that someone would experience? Like, hey, your identity is to be a complete failure. To to never measure up, to never be good enough. And yet here were slaves with their identity being put in their very work. And you can imagine the ways that that would jack with someone's heart in some ways. Perhaps in a desire or desperation to receive value and validation from their masters, they worked motivated by trying to gain acceptance. Like, I'm going to work hard so my master likes me, so I'm the good servant, I'm the good slave, and then I have value and worth. And if you live that way, you're constantly haunted with the questions, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Do I have value? Do I have worth? And then if you live that way, it also starts to wear you out such that, hey, in order to to sort of cut corners, because this is exhausting, I'm going to work well when the boss is around and he can see me, and then I'm valued, but when he's not around, I'm going to take a break. Or another way this could play out is through underhanded deception, meaning I don't value my master i hate being a slave i hate that this is my responsibility and so i'll work hard when he's around so he thinks i'm good but when he's not looking i'm going to undermine him i'm going to be underhanded i'm going to be deceptive and i'm going to rebel by not working hard and not working wholeheartedly well for masters the ones with the power and authority look their success their wealth was built upon their slaves doing what they wanted And if you see a slave not doing what you want and then your whole identity and your success and your wealth is threatened, well then it would be easy to become heavy-handed. Get them in line. Do what I tell you to do. And so we see in the dynamic the Apostle Paul points out, the brokenness of work and the way sin affects work. So, as you consider your own work, how do you experience the brokenness in your work? In what ways do you experience similar dynamics? Are you motivated in your work to gain a sense of identity? Do you work so that you feel you have value and worth? Maybe you go, I don't know. How, how would I know if I do that? Well, let's, let's ask some questions this morning. Let, let's consider some questions. Well, what happens when you pour your heart and soul into work and rather than being fruitful and productive, you experience thorns and thistles? Where where, where do you go? Where does your heart go? Does does that throw you into angst and anxiety? Do you start asking, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? Do I have value and validation? Does my life have meaning and purpose? Are you constantly trying to catch the eye of your boss so you get validation and value from your boss so that everybody else knows that you have value? Are you working and working and overworking so that you feel that you have value in life? Are you stepping on and stepping over coworkers to climb the ladder? Are you a pain to work with? Do your coworkers run when they see you coming because it's like, I don't want to deal with that person? What happens when you don't receive the recognition that you worked for? Well, what happens when you work hard on a project or work hard to accomplish something and no one notices and you don't get the recognition that you feel you deserve and you desire? How, how do you respond when you're mistreated and maligned at work? Or when you recognize I have a boss that's just using me for their own ends and their own success? Or you have coworkers that are stepping on you or stepping over you in order to gain promotion and to climb the ladder? How do you respond? Is it anger? And frustration, doubt and self-pity, do you disparage your boss and disparage the people you work with? Do you justify half-hearted and lazy efforts because you think the work is beneath you and you're not being validated and you're not getting credit? And so why bother? If that's where you're living, friends, then what's motivating your work is self-glory and trying to find identity in your work. You're people-pleasing. And this is not how the Lord calls you to work. Now, for those of you who are bosses or managers, those of you who are responsible for people, how are you treating those who, are, who you oversee? How are you treating your employees? Are you overworking and underpaying? Are you harsh and critical and inflexible? Are you using people for your glory and your benefit, or are you building others up and seeing that other people may thrive? But friends, if this is how you lead in the workplace, then you are living for your own glory, self-glory, rather than leading in the way that God calls you. It doesn't honor the Lord. And in fact, he opposes that. How are you dealing with the brokenness of your work? And look, considering how much of our life is caught up in our work, I know that for the people in this room, some of this hangs really heavy. Some of this is hard and painful. Whether you work inside the home or outside the home, some of you, you probably came from a, a week where, I mean, the thorns and thistles were obvious. The brokenness and the pain and the insecurity were obvious. And how are you responding to that? What, what kind of person is that making you? Because my guess is this. You probably didn't start out, maybe, maybe some of you started out this way, but I'm guessing most of you didn't start out to be the sort of take-no-prisoner co-worker that steps on and steps over everybody to climb the ladder. Or oh, I'm, I'm guessing that you didn't start out to be the person who sort of half-heartedly gives effort and sort of only works hard when the boss is around so you can kind of stick it to all those people who don't appreciate you. I, I doubt you started out as the manager or the boss that uses other people and sort of just uses them for your own glory and success and then spits them out when you're done with them. Maybe you started out that way, but I'm guessing you probably didn't intend to start out that way. But here's what happens, Friends idolatry twists us. Idolatry twists our hearts. And so when we, our hearts are no longer being shaped by the glory and the worship of God, they start getting shaped by other things. And work is a wonderful gift, but a terrible God. It's a wonderful gift, but a terrible God. Because looking for identity and ultimate meaning and purpose and joy and fulfillment in our work leads us being angry and bitter and frustrated and fearful and weary and worn out. We're going to be haunted by insecurity and questions of whether I have value or not, whether I'm good enough or not. It's going to lead you to chase after your own glory and build your own kingdom. It's going to cause conflicts and rifts in relationships as you use people rather than know them and love them and serve them. How are you Dealing with the brokenness of your work. And look, who among us can't say that at times the brokenness of our work has eaten our lunch? Like it's, it's gotten to us, it's wrecked us, it's hurt us, it's brought pain. And, and, and in some ways, it, is, it has caused significant damage in relationships. And here's the thing the solution is not changing jobs. Like, sometimes you need to. Sometimes it is good to change jobs, change circumstances. I'm not not against that. But if you think this is going to fix the brokenness in your work, you're mistaken. Because there will always be sin out there, and you're going to take the sin in you anywhere you go. And so we cannot save ourselves. We can't rescue ourselves out of the brokenness of work by switching jobs and chasing after the next thing. Also, friends, God isn't indifferent to our sin in our work. As verse 25 tells us, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done and there's no favoritism. Look, our wrongdoing deserves judgment. We have rebelled against God. We have taken our work and rather than spread the glory of God and the kingdom of God, we've worked for our own glory and our own kingdoms and that deserves God's righteous judgment. The ways we've worked to wreck his good creation rather than cultivate it and build it up, we deserve judgment. And no matter what our sinful hearts tell us or the culture around us tells us, doing wrong in response to wrong is no excuse because ultimately the issue is not between you and another person. It's between you and the Lord. And so if we're honest about the brokenness of our work, here's the conclusion we have to come to. If we're honest, if we stop playing games and we're honest, we need rescue. We need redemption. We need renewal and recreation and we can't do it ourselves. We are powerless to change. Powerless to to transform our situation. And so we talk about work being reformed. We need salvation. We we need the gospel to break into our world, break into our work, and transform us and transform our work. And this is the hope we have in the gospel. This is the good news of the gospel because hear me, friends, the gospel is not just fire insurance. It's not so, hey, I can just go to heaven and escape this earth. Yes, in Christ we have the hope that Jesus is going to return and he is going to reconcile and renew all things and he's going to put an end to sin and suffering and evil and frustration and futility. But here is also the good news of the gospel. Holy Spirit resurrection power for you right now. His transforming power for you right now as you live in the sin-cursed world in your work full of frustration and futility. The gospel transforms you now in your work right now. And so friends, as we turn from our sin, as we repent of our sin and we look to Christ, we look to the one who came to this earth and walked a perfect life for us, who willingly laid down his life, the full and complete and perfect payment for our sin. The one who though he was crucified and killed was resurrected in glory and power, victorious over sin and death and evil who ascended into heaven and one day is going to return. When we look to him, here's what happens. Forgiveness for all of the ways that we have made work and idol, for all of the ways we have used people, for all the ways we've been selfish and lazy. Forgiveness for all of the ways we have given into brokenness and sin in our work. And then we're welcomed in as a child of God, a son, a daughter, cherished by our father, no longer slaves to sin, but set free from sin, And as the Apostle Paul reminded us earlier in Colossians 3, united to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, what do we do? We put off the old self and we put on the new self. And what is true of that new self? It's being remade in the image of our creator. It means that what sin marred and, and wrecked, Jesus is restoring and renewing that image of God in us. And what does that mean? It means that we can now return to the proper meaning and motivation of our work. Rather than working for an identity, we can work from an identity. Rather than spreading our glory and our kingdoms and our work, we can spread the glory of God and declare his kingdom. This is what Jesus' renewing power is doing in us right now and what he does in your job, even tomorrow. Friends, we need the power of the gospel. And this is what the gospel does. It transforms us so that now, in the words of Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever we do, we do it now from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that we will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. We serve the Lord Christ. I love that last sentence. We serve the Lord Christ. And so for the slaves that the apostle Paul was talking to, their identity was no longer as a piece of property caught up in the cog of an economic machine No, their identity was son daughter of God and so now that they've been set free from sin they didn't have to be chasing after identity in their work they didn't have to undermine their boss because they weren't getting the respect they thought they deserved no they could take that piece of creation God had entrusted them with and they could work and they could cultivate it for the good of others they could spread the glory of God even in the institution of slavery the power of the gospel was at work For masters, their greatest identity was no longer in their economic success and their wealth. And so, rather than trying to control their slaves with an iron fist, they could actually treat them with dignity and respect and love and kindness. They could use their position to build up those that served in their households because they knew they had a master. And like the master that they served, they would use their position with love and kindness, and compassion, and grace, and mercy, and righteousness. And the same is true for us. Friends, for us, we now, that have been set free by Christ, we now can work from the heart for the Lord. And so whether you are in the military, whether you are a businessman, whether you're a teacher, whether you work in medicine, or construction, or tech, or finance and banking, or law enforcement, a waiter or a waitress, an engineer, you work in a factory, drive a truck, or your stay-at-home mom, God has given you a piece of creation. He's entrusted you with it and said, take this, cultivate it, care for it, develop it, be fruitful, produce for my glory. And by the power of the gospel, you can. By the power of the gospel, you can take that piece of creation and you can work to the glory of God and declare his kingdom. And when the thorns and thistles come, when the sting of frustration and futility come, keep working. Stay faithful because you serve the Lord Christ. Maybe that piece of creation God has given you, you're you're not happy with it. You're like, God, I wish you would give me a different piece of creation. Hey, stay faithful. You serve the Lord Christ. You are a citizen of another kingdom. And what this means is that you have the Holy Spirit and his power meets you right in the midst of your work. It drops right into the frustration and futility and empowers you to be fruitful. It empowers you to work with the hope knowing that one day Jesus is going to come back and the frustration and futility will be over. And so work in that hope. Work in that Holy Spirit power and work from the heart for the Lord. Also, friends, when the questions of Am I doing enough? Am I good enough? Do I have value and worth when they come crashing in? When the temptation to people please or find your identity and value in your work weighs heavy on you. When the temptation to use people to build your own glory and your own kingdom starts to creep in and entice you, hey, turn from your sin and look to Christ. (laughs) Turn from your sin and look to Christ. Look to the one who set you free from sin who made you a beloved son and daughter of God, and who is renewing you in his image. Look to him and be strengthened, be encouraged, be renewed. He is the one you serve. Look to him and no longer work for an identity, but work from that identity. And when the drama and pain of office politics or unfair, heavy-handed, incompetent bosses or backbiting and backstabbing coworkers tempts you to retaliate or to slack off, Hey, remember, you serve the Lord Christ. He is your strength. He's your shield. He's going to sustain you, and he's going to uphold you. Work as one that has the freedom of knowing I have an inheritance greater than any salary or any 401K. Work in that freedom and be a phenomenal coworker. Be a phenomenal boss or manager. Serve others. Give yourself to see that others may flourish and the companies you work for may flourish Put on display the kingdom virtues of kindness and compassion and justice and mercy and righteousness because, friends, do you know this? God values your work. He values it, and he uses it. I think of that great quote from Abraham Kuyper, and I know some of you are familiar with it, that there's not a square inch in the whole of human existence over which Christ, who is the Lord of all, does not declare, mine, mine and that includes your work. That includes your work. God values your work, Christ values your work, and he sovereignly uses your work to bring goodness and righteousness and justice and flourishing to our community and to our world. Look, you may not see it, it may be hard to see, but take hold of the promise in Galatians 6 that by the power of the gospel, your labor's not in vain. All work that honors the Lord will last. It's not in vain. In this hope, work from the heart for the Lord. So First City Church, as those who have been set free from sin, as those who have been united to Christ and are being renewed in his image, as those who serve the Lord Christ, as those with an incredible reward and inheritance, let us work from the heart for the Lord. Let us take the piece of creation that God has entrusted us with and let's cultivate it, let's develop it, let's be productive in it. Let people from First City be known as amazing coworkers and amazing bosses and managers. Let's work in this community to bring flourishing and goodness and righteousness and justice to our city and to our community. Let our work spread the glory of God and declare the kingdom of God. Amen.